Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Good morning. Today we will be reading from Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Just want to say welcome to the used-to-be Miller family, except for Melvin. Just want to welcome you guys here. Okay, if you guys got it, say we got it. Okay. Genesis 9, 1 through 7. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your life blood, it will will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from every man, from from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man... By man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, the living word. And Father, I thank you for uh, we are so blessed with many children. And Father, with this, I just pray that you continue to give us health and strength. Lord, I just pray that you'll speak through Pastor Harold as he gives the word. I just thank you for it, and may we have open hearts and open ears to hear your word, Father. We just thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated now. What a blessing to be together. Glory to God. There's a lot of things that just are running through my mind this morning. Uh, Thank you, Britt, for reading the scripture for us. I smiled when he read that part about having authority over different things. My dear friend and brother in the Lord, Mark Clemens, who pastors in La La Crosse, Wisconsin, is the one that opened my eyes to this, and he said, you know, God gave us authority over the creeps, over every creeping thing. Okay, you'll get that Thursday, and you'll suddenly start laughing at the joke there, and people around you will say, what's the matter with you? And say, well, I finally got it. But, and if you don't, that's okay, too. Uh, but what a blessing to be together. I'm impressed in this passage of Scripture. God's favorite math is multiplication, not subtraction, not division, not fractions, but multiplication. I took one math class in college, 
prayed earnestly. I said, God, if you give me grace, help me to get a C in this class, I will never, ever put you to the test again by taking another math class. <laughs> God was faithful, and I've been faithful too. So. But actually, all jokes aside, really what we're seeing in this is the second and the third time that God is going to speak to Adam and say, be fruitful and multiply. And if we can just recap a little bit of where we have been over the last couple of weeks. And I would just say that next week, uh, Matt told me he's going to just take us through the whole chapter 9. Um, so part of what we're going to talk about this morning, he's going to hit on again next Sunday. But as we look back, God has preserved the life of Noah and his family, the miraculous thing of this ark of salvation. For over a year, Noah and his family are in the ark. And what's amazing, as I shared last Sunday, is that even though Noah knows that the ground is dry, he stays in the ark until God tells him it is time to leave. And his first act, or one of the first, is to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving and a sacrifice of praise. And it's important to understand that Noah is not trying to get favor from God. He already has that. Genesis chapter 6 verse 8 says that Noah found grace, the word means favor, in the eyes of the Lord. He had this. What Noah is doing is responding to this great salvation that God has given. He realizes that a great salvation requires a great sacrifice. And I tried to hit on this somewhat last Sunday as we concluded, looking into Romans chapter 12, where Paul says that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. That how I live my life is an expression of worship to God. It is an offering of thanksgiving and an offering of praise. I'm living my life in response to what God has done, is doing, and what I know he will do according to his promise in the future. That's what motivates our life. That's what consumes us, if you will, or should consume us. Scripture talks about that Noah's offering Chapter 8, verse 21, was a soothing aroma to God. And we talked about last week that God doesn't have a body like ours. And so this choice of words is, is figurative, but it's interesting in the Hebrew is this soothing aroma literally meant a smell of satisfaction which is hard for us to really get our minds about. And in response to that, God purposes that he will never again destroy the earth by means of a flood. And he declares then this blessing over Noah and his sons, and Noah is going to have God establish a covenant. And we'll touch on that a bit this morning, and I know that Matt will cover it in greater depth next Sunday. But to understand that it is God who established the covenant. It's not Noah. 
And I say that because how many of us grew up in church and we'd sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided, you know the Sunday school song. The reality is we didn't decide to follow Jesus. He decided to reach out to us. It is God who initiates salvation. It was God who initiated his salvation for Noah and his family by means of this ark of safety. It is God who initiates his salvation to us by means of the shed blood of Christ, the plan of salvation. And yet so often we find ourselves saying, well, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Well, to one degree there is some truth in that, but the greater degree of truth is that we've decided to respond to what he has done and made available. I think it's important for us to keep that clarified in our minds about where salvation really is. There's a fill in the blank that I have for you in the bulletin that is important, I think. God's blessing comes after Noah sacrifices, his sacrifice of worship and thanksgiving, not before it. It's a response to who God is and what God has done. And we talked a little bit last week that in this offering, it was an acknowledgement of what God had done through his salvation in the ark of safety. It was an acknowledgement of where they were in the present, but it was also uh, an acknowledgement of thanksgiving, knowing that God had provided, he had guided, and he will continue to provide and guide. And isn't it interesting, and isn't it true, that as we offer our worship to God, whether we're conscious of it or not, what we're doing is really in response to the same thing. We recognize his faithfulness, and we know that we have the gift of life today, and by his grace, we know that he will continue to guide, he will continue to provide. He is our God. Now, I don't want you to go to extremes in what I'm about to say. But there's a sense in which we should never expect the blessing of God on our lives until we have given him a sacrificial offering of praise and thanksgiving and worship in response to who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. We never, ever give to get. Turn to the person next to you say, don't give to get. You see, you can't manipulate God. And yet, how often do we try to do that? Maybe it's not conscious, but there's many times that we just kind of fall into that trap and we say, oh God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Again, I, I would just say to us what I said last Sunday. If God never blesses us with another blessing, if he never answered another prayer for us, and he will, praise God, but if he didn't, it should be enough to know that our sins are forgiven and our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? That was weak, but I'll take it. It's July 3rd. Hallelujah. Memory verse, kids. Help me with this. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, what? Be fruitful and multiply. And we are ahead in the slides, way ahead back up. There we go. Maybe I had them in the wrong order. That could be. You know, 
Some of us are a little older when it comes to technology, and that's why God created children and grandchildren, too, and maybe great-grandchildren to help us with those things. Now, let's explore the text a little bit, because there's some powerful things in this for us. Notice that, that the flood did not remove the curse that was on the earth. Man still has a fallen nature. Man still is in bondage to sin. And, you know, if you go back and, uh, man, don't look at the screen right now. And I just said that, and everybody looks right at the screen. <laughs> Man still has a fallen nature. If you go back into Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21, God says there, this is after the flood, that the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now he's saying that to Noah and Noah's sons and their family. See, the, the flood didn't remove any of that. And tragically, we will see later here in chapter 9 of Genesis that the fallen nature of man is fully on display when Noah gets drunk. But things have changed. You look at verse 2. Man still has dominion, but for the first time now animals are afraid of man. Something else has changed. I like this in verse 3. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. <laughs> I heard that. Praise God. <laughs> one, one of my Chinese friends in, uh, in Indonesia uh, told us, he said, you know Adam and Eve weren't Chinese. I said, really? How do you know that? And understand, these people are of Chinese descent. He said, hey, if Adam and Eve were Chinese, they would have eaten the snake. <laughs> but things have changed. Man's no longer a vegetarian. But there is a prohibition that is here. Look at this in verse 4. You shall, only, you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And there's just a multitude of scriptures that, that go on. You get into Leviticus chapter 7. You get into chapter 17. In fact, when you get into the book of Acts, you've got this tremendous explosion of growth in the church where literally the Gentile population of the church was beginning to outnumber the Jewish population of the church. And the Gentiles were believers were afraid that the Jewish believers were going to mess things up. You got this move of God that has come in Asia Minor because of Paul's missionaries' journeys. And there's a question about the law and circumcision. And you remember in uh, Acts 15, there is this huge monumental decision that is made under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the counsel is that they were to abstain from four things, and one of them was from blood, because the life is in the blood. Now, if you grew up the way I grew up, when my mom cooked meat, she cooked it, and cooked it, and cooked it, and cooked it, 
And if she could see any blood, she cooked it a little longer. So steak became like shoe leather. My poor wife, when she met and married me, she got introduced to steak that was made medium, a little pink. Now, she knows I love her, but she likes her steak slightly wounded. <laughs> Me, I'm still godly. I have mine. <laughs> you can tell this afternoon's going to be interesting, right? You're, you love me. Okay. She knows I'm teasing. Okay. But there was this prohibition because there's an understanding that the life is in the blood. And this theme is reoccurring throughout the scriptures and really comes to uh, a fullness in the understanding that Jesus Christ shed his blood for our salvation. And so we are careful. Orthodox Jewish people are careful. From my Amish Mennonite background, we were careful not to eat the blood. So we overcooked the steak. Enough said. My point in all of this is that God has such a premium that he places on life. There is such a value. Here's a fill in the blank for you. God places a high value on human life because man is made in his image. And God says here, any man... Any beast that takes a human life is going to be accountable to God. And that accountability is worked out through human representatives. What happens if, for instance, a dog attacks a child and, say, scars that child or, perish the thought, kills that child? What happens? That dog's put down. It's killed. The same way, what happens? I, I remember this as a kid growing up when a bull gored a farmer. What happened? That bull lived up to its name, Hamburger. I'm sorry, it's just one of those weekends. I Pray for me, I'm getting older. But there's value in life. Verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. It's life for life. Now, I don't know if you thought about this, but a few weeks ago when we were back in Genesis chapter 4, and you remember what Lamech said? Just keep your finger here. Go back to chapter 4 and look at verse 26. How his vengeance deals is different from God. And I've got the wrong reference. Well, glory to God. It's in there where Lamech says, I will kill 70 times 7. And if you find that, oh, it's verse 24. I said verse 26. I'm sorry. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. And we know that Lamech was sinful, fallen. 
God's justice is a life for a life so much different. I think it's important to understand also that this death penalty was not instituted primarily as a deterrent to crime, but rather a strong reminder of the uniqueness of God who's created in God's image. Man is created in God's image. And I'm not here today to argue one way or another or to justify the death penalty in criminal cases. And some have argued, well, if we have a death penalty, that'll be a deterrent. We could argue that all day. But what I do want to drive home to us is that life is precious to God because man is uniquely made of all creation in God's image. Therefore, to murder another human being is to murder what is most like God. And it is thus implicitly an attack on God himself. If you'll permit me, let me just tell you an area where my heart grieves. And sometimes my fallen nature wants to rise up. Life is so precious. And I listen to the righteous indignation of so many in the media when innocent people were killed in these school shootings, and rightly so. And yet there is conspicuous silence about the 3,000 babies that are murdered every day on the altar of abortion. I confess that there's something rises up into me of a, I pray, a righteous indignation. There ought to be an understanding for us as believers that when a human life is taken, it's really an act against God, the creator, because we are created in his image. I thought about this in another way this week because Thursday I conducted a funeral for a man that I've known for a lot of years and as we were at the cemetery for the burial. I was just reminded again that while life has gone out of the body, man is created in the image of God and even when death comes, we treat that body with dignity and respect because we're created in the image of God. As we drove from the funeral home in Goshen where the service was held to the cemetery at Maple Grove, one of the things Janice and I talked about was the amount of cars that pulled over and stopped, which was a good thing to do, showing respect. There were people in the funeral procession, I, I have to brag a little bit on the Topeka Police Department. We had officers pick us up a mile west of State Road 5. When we get to State Road 5, there's one of our officers blocking traffic, standing outside of his car in respect. Get down to the county line, 
Another one of our officers, our town marshal, in fact, blocking traffic, standing out of his car in respect. See, there's a sense of the preciousness of life, and we recognize that, and we honor life. And to take a human life is to take that which was created most like God. In his book, Gleanings from Joshua, Arthur W. Pink quoted a man by the name of Andrew Fuller, and I had to look up. I mean, he didn't tell me anything about Andrew Fuller. I wondered about Andrew Fuller, who he was. So, isn't the internet wonderful, or can't it be wonderful? Andrew Fuller was an interesting guy. Lived from 1754 to 1815. He was recognized by his contemporaries as the preeminent Baptist theologian of his day. In fact, I thought it was interesting. He was honored with a doctoral degree from both Princeton in 1798 and Yale in 1805, back in the days when it was prestigious to have a doctorate from those universities that started out to train ministers and now have become as liberal as a $3 bill. Okay, anyway. Man, it's one of those mornings, isn't it, dear? She's just smiling, by the way. Fuller said this amazing thing, and I put it up there, and I've left it up there long enough so that you can read it for yourself as I hear it, as, as I read it, and you can read it for yourself as I read it to you. To deface the king's image is a sort of treason among men, implying a hatred against him, and that if he himself were within reach, he would be served in the same manner. How much more treasonable then? Must it be to destroy, to curse, to oppress, or in any way abuse the image of the King of Kings? I confess to you I read that, and then I read it again, and then I read it again phrase by phrase. And may I say to us that I was convicted not just by the fact where he talks about to destroy, but what got to me, to curse, to oppress, I thought of slavery, and in any way abuse the image of God. How I treat my fellow men is a reflection of my attitude towards God. And if I am abusive in my language or in my physical action, in many respects it is an abuse that is directed towards God because whether I like that person or not, they are an image bearer. Now we understand that I believe in context because we understand that there are some people who because of their character and their behavior need to be locked up so it's safe for the rest of society. Okay, we understand those things. But in the general course of my living my life, how I treat my fellow men, be they Christian or not, is a reflection <coughs> towards God and my attitudes towards God because they are image bearers.
Now, again, let's keep the main point the main point in all of this. We're not here to argue or debate the pros and cons of capital punishment. The point is that life is precious. Every stage of life is precious. I was with some people not long ago where their loved one died just an agonizing death. And one of the family members said, I know it's wrong, but I, I just wanted to do something to take away their suffering. Euthanasia. What society now calls mercy killing, that is legal in certain states in the United States. But you know what? Life is precious. And one of the things that challenges me, praise God, we're rejoicing that the Supreme Court came out with their decision that brought down Roe v. Wade. And there is this debate on when life begins. But here's something that I want us to think about. Jeremiah 1.5, God says, before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. There's this big debate. When does life begin? Does it begin at conception? Does it begin when that child in the womb is viable to live outside of the mother's womb? Does life begin when you take that first breath? Some of my Jewish friends believe that you're not alive until you breathe. Therefore, they can justify abortion. There's a lot of debate. Here's the thing I want us to think about. And I'm going to intentionally leave this for you to think about before I formed you in the womb. I can't give you a scripture for this, but I believe, brothers and sisters, that somehow you and I existed in the mind of God before we were ever conceived. I don't understand how all of that can be, but I believe it's true. And life is precious. And isn't it interesting listening to people when they talk about a child in the womb when they talk about a baby, it's a human being. When they talk about a fetus, they're talking about a bunch of tissue. Listen to the terms that people use, and it will tell you a lot about their perspective. There's so much more that we can say other than life is precious. Even in those moments, I cannot tell you how many times I have been around the bedside and stood there, sat there, held the hand of someone who was stepping into eternity. It changes you. And you recognize the preciousness of life. I've been with people 
who were dying, among other things, of emphysema, and literally see them grab the sides of their bed and try to pull up to take another breath. Their family members couldn't handle it, and they went outside to have a cigarette. I've been around the bedside of people who are just godly people, seeing their kids and their grandkids surround them. Say, thank you for being a godly example. Thank you for leading us. We just release you into God's eternal presence. And to see that person take their last breath and hear family members say, Praise God. Life is precious. When you've sat with as many families as I have, it changes you. And you see that. I have to tell you one more story. It was really the first time I ever did compressions on someone. I was the second one on scene. I'll never forget that. But what stood out was seeing this godly wife with her Bible open, kneeling at the head of her dead husband, stroking his hair, saying, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being a godly man. And she's reading the scriptures and giving thanks to God. I felt like I was invading a holy, holy moment. And I just needed to walk away. And I stood and I watched. It was one of the most profound things I have ever seen in my life. And this isn't in my notes. But it's all this to say that even at that moment of death, there is a preciousness about life. And an understanding that we have as believers that death is not the end. But you know what? There is even a beauty in the death of a saint. Old Testament says that precious in the sight of God is the death of the saints. And the word precious means costly. We're image bearers. And when you think about it, God, the breath of God, was breathed. And the word in the, in the Hebrew means a puff. God breathed into man and he became a living soul. Oh, folks, life is precious. And those who take a life will be held accountable by God. We need to move this towards the end. Now, you know pastors, when they say, well, we need to move into closing, you know it's going to be another 20 minutes. So it won't be 20 minutes, I don't think. But God's command, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Third time, second and third time, that Noah is hearing this. He hears it in uh, verse 2 and for the second time, and then in verse 7 again. God had spoken it earlier. It's the same word that was spoken to Adam in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. I like what Arthur W. Pink says about our passage here. He, he calls it the second beginning 
in Genesis. Here, Noah stands at the head of the human race. The human family has been reduced to a mere eight souls. The need to replenish, to repopulate, repopulate the earth is obvious. There's fruitfulness that needs to happen. Clearly, God's speaking about the human population. What does that mean for us today? I want to say something to us to be able to, to just encourage us. To walk in grace and love and humility with one another. You know what? If God blesses you with a large family and a boatload of kids, wonderful. But that doesn't mean that the couple who has prayed and prayed and prayed for a child without that prayer being answered is any less blessed by God. We need to be careful. If you have, if there's people with a large family, how often have we said things in jest that have been cruel, like, hey, don't you know what's causing this? We need to walk in grace with one another. I think of Zechariah and his wife, godly people. Scripture makes a point that they were godly people, but they had no children. Were they any less blessed of God? Now, we know the rest of the story, how God works in a miraculous way, and they have a son, John, whose last name was Baptist. I told you it's one of those mornings. I, I would encourage us that we need to be gracious one, with one another. We need to walk together with, in love with one another. And I know sometimes, you know, we've made jokes that God said be fruitful and replenish the earth. And some families are trying to do it on their own. By themselves. God bless you with a great family, a big family. Praise God. If he blessed you with two, praise God. If he blessed you with one, praise God. If he blessed you with none, praise God. If God moved on your heart to become adoptive parents, praise God. I thank God for the, man, the people that adopted my mother. I thank God for the man who married my mother and I was part of the deal. But he didn't have to adopt me, but he did. How many of you besides me have been adopted that are here? I'm the only one. Can I tell you something? Oh, yes! You were adopted too, brother. Okay. You know what? All the other parents had to take what they got. <laughs> Our parents chose us. Remember what Jesus says to his disciples, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. You know... There is a sense in which every one of us here today who is a believer has been adopted. We have been adopted 
by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator God of the universe, the one of whom scripture says that all things were created in him, through him, and for him, and in him all things hold together. He chose to adopt us in his mercy and his grace, and he paid for that adoption with his blood. Isn't that glorious? It's another reason why life becomes so precious to us. Be fruitful. Keep your finger here. Let me just read to us when it speaks of fruitfulness. It does speak of families, I believe. But look at what Galatians chapter 5 says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul's been talking to the Galatian believers about not putting them trust in themselves uh, and not being legalistic about things. The importance of we've been called to freedom, verse 13, but through love we're to serve one another. And then he says... This, this is just awesome. Verse 22, but the fruit, notice it's singular. So often we say the fruits of the Spirit, but it's one fruit that has a number of expressions. Is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. What kind of fruit does an apple tree produce, kids? Apples. What kind of fruit does a peach tree produce? Peaches. Why? Because that's its nature. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in us, that Holy Spirit, what is going to be the natural fruit that is produced from our life? Did the apple tree think, hmm, I'm going to make apples this year? It doesn't work that way, does it? It produces apples because it's an apple tree. We're a Christian. Spirit of God dwells in us. What kind of fruit is going to come from our life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Why? Because that's the natural fruit that is produced from our life. May I say to us, may I challenge us, since we are image bearers, wow, we're here for a kingdom purpose. We're not just taking up space in the universe. We're image bearers made in the likeness of God. That means our life, my life needs to reflect his image. So the question becomes, what are the people out there in the world around us, the people that we rub shoulders with every day, what do they see when they look at our lives? What kind of fruit do they see coming from our life? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in my life? If it isn't, something's wrong. Pastor John shared that we're planning for baby dedication, and we've been blessed with so many kids. It's awesome. But hey, moms and dads, if that precious child of yours isn't growing and developing and maturing, what are you going to do? You're going to say, something's wrong. Let's go to a doctor. What about us as believers? 
Are we growing and maturing? Are we bearing fruit? If we're not, something is wrong because it is normal to have growth. Which leads me to the other thing that, Paul, uh, that, that Genesis talks about. God says here, multiply. First of all, what needs to be multiplied is the life of God in my life. Second, the word of God should be growing and multiplying. It should be growing and multiplying in our families. It should be growing and multiplying in the world around us, the place that we work, where we spend our time, with the people that we spend time with. And without being legalistic or, or putting a guilt trip to, on any of us, we ought to be asking ourselves, asking the Holy Spirit, is your spirit fruit being naturally produced in my life? Is it being multiplied in the people around me, starting with my family? Dads, husbands, are we easy to live with? That's a tough question. I mean, I'm easy to live with if everybody does things the way I want it. You're smiling because you get the point. Is that being produced in my life? If our faith isn't growing, if it isn't bearing fruit, if it's not multiplying, then something's wrong because that is not normal. Bible says we are the sheep of his pastures. What do sheep do? They have lambs. Are ewes having lambs? I told you it's one of those mornings. And I'm not just talking about kids biologically born in our families. I'm talking about spiritual kids, spiritual families. I'm challenged. How is the work of God being reflected in my life through offerings of thanksgiving and praise to God? How is the command to be fruitful and to multiply being lived out in my life, first of all, in my family, with my kids, with my grandkids, and now, glory to God, great-grandkids. How's that being lived out? And then how's that being lived out in the world around me? Is it? Are we actively looking for ways to spiritually be fruitful? and spiritually multiply. And I'm intentionally not telling you how that should be or what that should look like. Because the challenge is to go before God and say, God, you gotta tell me. Because on my own, I cannot do it. And on my own, I can't get it right. You've got to do it. I want to leave us with this. 
God didn't come to Noah and his sons with a pat on the back. He came with a spiritual command. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Christian, be fruitful. Multiply. Reproduce. Not just kids. But spiritual new believers. Worship team, come and join me. Would you please? As we bring this to a close, I, I want to leave you with some things to talk about and discuss. Because I believe that one of the things God wants us to do is that sermons don't just give us the answers. Do this, this, and this. But they call us up to come before him and say, God, how should this be lived out in my life? How should this be expressed in my family and through my family? Have these in the bulletin for you to talk about. Talk about the fact that Noah's sacrificial offering came in response to what God had done and was not an effort to get greater blessing from God. Take some time to talk about the difference between the blessing of, that Noah received and the one that Adam received. And talk about what it means, what it meant for Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply. Talk about how God wants us to spiritually be fruitful and multiply. And talk about ways that that can happen. And then take some time. Read together for yourselves. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25. And pray and say, Holy Spirit, make us more like Jesus. Pray that the fruit of the Spirit becomes more and more evident in your life and through your life. Noah and his sons were commanded to be active and proactive and working at being fruitful and multiply. And I believe it's a command to us. How are we being spiritually fruitful and spiritually multiplying? Our first thought goes to having kids. I want to challenge us. To be honest with ourselves and before God and say, God, how am I or how am I not being spiritual fruitful, spiritually multiplying? How am I or how am I, am I not walking in faithfulness and obedience to your command? Stand with me. Lord, there's so many things that we see here that are so powerful. God, we want to thank you for your gift of salvation. Thank you for preserving life. Lord, we're also challenged by the command that you gave to Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply. Give us grace to be brutally honest before you and with ourselves about where we are where we're walking and where we're not walking. God, where the fruit of the Spirit is not being manifested in our lives, forgive us. And cause us to be conscious of the fact that we are your image bearers.
that we need to be reflecting your image, your life, your love, your glory, your salvation, not only before our families, but before a watching world. So do a work in us that we pray. Forgive us. Empower us by your spirit. And in all of this, we thank you. Even for the word of correction, we thank you. And for the challenge, we thank you. For we know what Paul says is true in Philippians 1.6, that it is you who works in us, both to will and to do your good pleasure. So from start to finish, we give you the thanks and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been thinking all morning the fact that here we are, getting ready as Americans to celebrate tomorrow our independence. But you know, this morning and what we're about to do as Christians, as we come to the table of the Lord, we're celebrating an even greater liberty, a greater freedom. And that's the freedom that we have because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. If you're visiting with us here today, we are so glad that you're here, so glad you chose to come and worship with us. If you're a believer, we invite you to join with us as we take of the bread and of the cup. And in a moment, as the worship team leads us, we will come beginning from the front, front and take of the elements, and then we will take together of the communion. If you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here. We pray that you sense the love of Jesus in this place and the acceptance of God's people. But we'd also say to you, while we're glad you're here, communion is for believers. And we'd respectfully ask you not to come, but to consider what Christ has done and open your heart to him in salvation. Worship team, lead us and come as they begin to sing. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.